So open up your Bibles to John chapter 13. We're going to continue our study there. We're going to actually finish up the 13th chapter of John, and then we will move into the beginning of chapter 14. And to just kind of set, give you the setting, uh, just a reminder, we are still in the upper room. This is the night before Jesus would go to the cross. And Jesus is having this discussion with his disciples. And we, uh, he has been preparing them for the time of his departure. Chapter 13 began with a statement that kind of set the tone for, for the rest of this gospel. In John chapter 13, verse 1, John recorded, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And when we studied that, we talked about how when they, he loved them to the end, what that meant was that he loved them in completion. It was a complete, full love, perfect love. Last week we were, as we're studying about the love of Jesus, we were faced with the challenging words of Jesus to to love as he has loved us. That, of course, was coming off of the heels of Jesus expressing his love in humility as he washed the disciples' feet. And that included his betrayer, Judas. That's the kind of love that Jesus showed his disciples. And, And we are now learning more and more about that love so that we might be able to be obedient to that command, to love as Christ loved. And so we're going to continue that this morning. In John chapter 13, verses 36, and then we'll go to 14, 10. And we're going to see two different aspects of Jesus' love this morning. The first is we're going to see how his love endures, and then we will see how his love comforts. So first, let's look at the enduring love of of Christ in John chapter 13, verses 36 through 38. I'm actually going to go back to verse 31, which is where Trent taught us through last week, because I want you to see this in context. So starting in verse 31 of John 13, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. When you read the response of Peter there, that is coming after Jesus saying, I'm going to depart from you. Where I am going, you cannot come. I have a new command. Love one another as I have loved you. And it's it's almost like Peter can't get past the death and departure of Christ. 
Because where does he focus his response? It's not on the command. I don't think Peter ignored the command. I, I think he, he heard Jesus, he heard what he was saying, and he understood it. If you go to 1 Peter, you'll see in some of his writings, he actually brings this, this same concept up. We talked a lot last week about loving as Christ loved and how we're to pursue unity with one another. All that comes out in, in 1, Peter, John, uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 8, when Peter writes, Finally, all of you, having unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So I, I don't think Peter just ignored and didn't hear what Jesus was saying with that, with that command, but he places more emphasis on the fact that Jesus is leaving. And he places more emphasis, in fact, on his desire to know something instead of being obedient to the command uh, of Christ. This type of response further indicates that the disciples as a whole really struggled with accepting the reality that Jesus was going to die, that it had to happen. Almost their unwillingness to accept that. So Jesus responds, and it's, it's a very, I don't want you to miss this. When Jesus responds, he says, I am, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. That is significant because Jesus, I mean, we, we read it, right? At first, it sounds like he's telling them the same thing that he's already told the Jews. He says, just as I've told the Jews, I also tell you where I am going, you, you cannot come. And we saw that when Jesus told that to the Pharisees, if you go back to John chapter 7, verse 34, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees says, you will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. He does it again in John chapter 8, verse 21. He says, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. But the response here to Peter is a little different. Peter, where I'm going, you can't come now. But you will come afterward. See, the difference here is Peter has trusted in Jesus. G Peter has seen the glory of Jesus as the Son of God. And he's placed his trust in him for salvation. We, we read in, earlier in John chapter 13 that Peter is clean, right? When Jesus went to wash his feet, Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet. And he said, no, I need to, Peter. If I don't, you're going to have no part of me. You're going to have no share with me. And Jesus, so then Peter obviously responds, well, because he's all or nothing, if you remember. He says, well, give me a whole bath then. My head, my hands, my feet, everything. And Jesus told him, no, Peter, I don't need to do that because one who has been bathed does not need to bathe again. But their feet get dirty. You're clean, Peter. You have seen my glory and you have accepted it. You have received me. You have not rejected me like the Jews. So, one day, Peter, you will follow me. You will be with me. And there's two possible interpretations for that. I'll give you both of them, and then I'll let you decide. You can spend more time in your personal study, and I'll tell you where I fall. One could be 
literally is the broad. He's going to be with him one day in eternal glory. He is going to share in that glory with Jesus Christ again. He's going to be with him in heaven for all eternity. The second option is that he's literally going to follow in his footsteps to a cross where Peter will also die on a cross. I believe it's more of the broad theme, the broad idea that he's telling him in the presence of all disciples and he's speaking to those remaining 11, telling them, where I'm going, you won't follow me now, but you will come one day. If he intended to tell Peter that you're also gonna follow my footsteps to the cross, that would be a true statement. Neither one's gonna, it's not heretical if you fall either way. I just think in context where this discussion is, I think he's addressing the eternal glory that they will share with him. Because as he goes on, he's gonna talk about how he's going to come back and he's gonna gather them up to himself. These are important words for Peter to remember. And of course, Peter's, we've already seen it when Jesus gives this command, he, he overlooked the command and focused more on the fact that he was leaving. When, when Jesus tells Peter this, and then he follows with the next words that say, Peter, you're going to deny me. How important is this promise for Peter to remember? I will come back for you. You will be with me again. But first, let's look at Peter's response. He says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. This is recorded in all four Gospels, this conversation. If you go back to Matthew chapter 26, I want you to see this because each author, of course, they have their own authorial purpose. And so they're going to record this in a different way. They have different details. But when you take the whole thing into perspective, it really helps you identify with where Peter is coming from and how his response would have been communicated. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 33, Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus, I am committed to you. Though all these other clowns behind me may fall away, I'm dedicated. I am committed. I will follow you. You go to Mark chapter 14 in verse 31. Peter, this is after Peter has already said the same thing, even though they all fall away, I will not. In verse 29, Jesus tells him, you're, gonna, you're going to deny me. Peter responds even to that emphatically, it says, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And of course, you see the, the fact that you know, Peter was the vocal leader of this group, obviously. He's always the one that first speaks up. It follows and says, and they all said the same. So Peter is setting the tone for the disciples saying, even if we have to die for you, Jesus, I will follow you. I will not deny you. You go to Luke chapter 22, verse 33. Luke twenty two thirty three. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And then here in John 13, I will lay down my life for you. This is an emotional response, but it's also a sincere response. 
To which Jesus responds, will you, Peter? Will you lay down your life for me? And he follows that up with probably some of the harshest words, the hardest words that Peter ever heard. And it started with a truly, truly, I say to you. And we've seen that a lot in this gospel. When Jesus goes to say something that he wants everyone to hear, that he wants them to pay, pay attention to, he starts off and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, this is truth, Peter. You're going to deny me three times before the new day. Now, Jesus, whenever he asked that question, will you lay down your life for me, was not questioning Peter's sincerity. But he was questioning his strength to carry that out. Because you see, this was a response out of emotion. This is something that Peter actually felt. He didn't just make this up. And he really felt like, no, Jesus, I will die for you. But that emotion was not based on truth because the truth would be revealed. The truth was that in the comfort of this setting where he's with his Lord, he's in the presence of him, and he's with his disciples in that upper room, that intimate setting with which they've been sharing a dinner together. Peter will run through that wall for Jesus. He will go to prison and go to death. But then when Jesus, when Peter is faced with that darkness of the arrest and the trial of Jesus at the with the high priest court. That's where truth is revealed. No, Peter, you won't do that. You're not strong enough to do that, Peter. And this response silenced Peter. When, when you read the rest of this gospel, Peter doesn't speak up again until chapter 18. That conversation that night, this is where Peter stops talking. I want to look at an implication here for us. I want you to keep the fact that that denial is coming. Jesus knows that he is going to deny him. Go back to that promise, though. Knowing that, Jesus, uh, knowing that Peter would deny Jesus, Jesus still tells Peter, I'm, you're going to be with me again. You can't come with me now, but you will come with me after. That's the type of love that Jesus has. It endures, despite what Peter does, despite what we do. Jesus loves us with the same type of enduring love. Going back to John 13, 1, Jesus loved them to the end. It was complete, perfect love. He loves us the same way. This is for those of us who have trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection and, and committed our lives to following Jesus, no matter the cost, and based our decision to do that on the foundational truth, truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, where we have been given the faith to respond to that call of God by, this, by the power of his Holy Spirit to put our eternal lives in, this, in the hands of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for those of us who have done that, Jesus' love endures. It remains despite our sinful nature, despite our pride, despite our, our, our disobedience, despite our selfishness, despite our, our lust for the, for the things of the flesh. 
I hope that makes you feel good this morning. You know, we're very careful not to just preach feel-good messages from our pulpit. And, you know, just last week, that was challenging. When you're faced with the love of Jesus and you're given the command to love like that, that's difficult, that's challenging. But we also take great joy in, in pointing you to the love of Jesus. And I hope that you do feel good as a believer that despite what you've done, despite what you're going to do today, you may deny Jesus three times before the sun goes down. Jesus' love endures. It's perfect, unfailing love. And if you're here just checking Christianity out, you're just feeling it out, trying to, hey, what is this thing that everybody talks about? Everybody goes to church. I want you to know that Jesus' love for you endures. You know, we're, we're celebrating Father's Day. We've got some good fathers in our church. A lot of us have had good fathers. Some of us haven't. And that idea of love from a father, it may be imperfect for you. This love never fails. The love of Christ endures all things. And so what I hope is that despite what you think you've done, that would keep Jesus from loving you or what you possibly thought. My hope is that you would surrender to the love of, of Jesus. That you would believe in him as the eternal son of God who came in the flesh, who went to the cross on your behalf so that you would not have to face the, the just punishment that, that we all deserve. And that he rose from the dead to conquer death so that you might live forever with him. When he tells Peter, you will follow me afterward, that you would hear those same words, that you will be with me again. Jesus' love is enduring. It perseveres. It also comforts. If you look at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 10, I'm going to read the whole passage and then we'll walk through it together. Jesus continuing says, let, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does, this, does his works. The disciples were troubled. When Jesus says, 
let not your hearts be troubled. This isn't preparation. He isn't saying, hey, look, you're gonna, you might have, be tempted to feel troubled at some point. Don't be troubled. They are troubled in this moment. You think back to the last few days for them. They start off with this triumphal entry that they got to witness and be a part of. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem and their expectation was, this is it. Our king is going to overthrow the Roman government that has been oppressing us. This is it. And then immediately Jesus starts talking about his death. He says things like, he says things like a grain of wheat, as a grain of wheat falls, so must I, so that I, much, I'm, I would be able to bear much fruit. He says things like the son of man must be lifted up. And then Jesus revealed that he would be betrayed by one of the 12. There at their dinner, Jesus reveals to them, one of you will betray me. And then now they've just heard the vocal leader of their group, Peter, the one who seemingly is committed above all others that he's gonna deny Christ. You know, this group left everything behind. They left their entire lives and followed this man who they believed to be the Messiah. And now there's this feeling that he's gonna leave them without finishing the mission. When we talk about the comforting love, Blake's gonna get to talk about this next week. But if you were to look ahead, he's not gonna leave them alone. He loves them. And so what we're gonna see next week is he is going to send Alas Paraclete. And Blake, I'm jealous that you get to talk about that. But it's another helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit that he will send. And Blake will talk about the significance of those words that were used. But here, Jesus continues to express his love so that they would be comforted. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Again, he's declaring himself to be God. To believe in Jesus is to believe in God. That's why John wrote this gospel. That we would be able to, to see Jesus as the Son of God and that by believing that, we would have eternal life. And it's not that they didn't believe. We've already seen that they did. They were included in that washing ceremony where they were pronounced clean. But what this is is it's, it's an encouragement. It's an exhortation to continue in belief despite what's coming. Disciples, you're troubled. Believe in me. As you move forward through this trouble, believe in me as you believe in God. And then he expresses his love in providing them comfort in the form of a future hope. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Even in this darkness, Jesus is preaching truth, but also light, hope to these disciples. Don't be troubled. 
my father's house has many rooms. And when he says that, uh, if you're reading King James, it probably says mansions. The interpretation of that is more of like what's called a dwelling place. It's more of like a room. And what that's, what that's pointing to, the idea there is that heaven is an intimate place. It's the intimacy of heaven. It's not that we all get our own different mansion. We're isolated from everybody else, but that we are all in our Father's house together. It's so the idea here was Jesus, when he says he's going to prepare a place for them, it's that I am going to add on. We are adding on to our Father's house so that you would have a place that you would be able to come and you would be able to live in community with all believers of all time with me, your King, your Savior. That's a future hope. That's exciting, despite whatever the disciples are going through. If they could just accept the reality that Jesus has to die, that would be good news. That this departure, this would only be temporary. And for those of us who are followers in Christ, this should provide us with comfort as well. This is not exclusive to these 11 men. We can see it in the New Testament. If you turn to 1 Thessalonians, nobody turns anymore because we have everything on them. I didn't hear any pages when I said that. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 13 through 18 so that you can see. This is Paul writing to a Gentile church. This is us. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we sang that this morning, did we not? For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And I love how Paul finishes that up. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. These are encouraging words for us. These are com this is com comforting. That despite whatever darkness we are in today, we have a greater hope ahead of us. That one day our Savior will descend and he will call us up to himself and we will be with him forever. We will be in his Father's house as members of the family. Then he also provides them comfort in his identity in verses four through 10. As the one who is expressing this love, it is foundational that we understand who that person is. Who is Jesus? The one who's expressing this love. 
in verses four and five, Jesus says, and you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? You know, it's, it's difficult for the disciples to see anything past the grave at this point. Jesus, I mean, it's not that they didn't know he was going to die. They understood that. They don't think he's going off to some desert land and we don't know where you're going. But Jesus, we don't really understand that concept of what comes after the grave. How do we get to where you are? And in verse six, Jesus gives that, this is the sixth I am statement. We told you there were gonna be seven in this gospel. This is the sixth. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Notice the definite articles there. We've mentioned this before. Those of you who aren't English enthusiasts, an indefinite article would be the word a. So if that was what was used, it would be I am a way, a truth, a life. And that would just simply imply that he was one of many. But that's not what Jesus said. He used the word the. I am the way, the truth, the life. Salvation is exclusive to following Jesus Christ. He says, no one comes to the Father but through me. What Jesus is saying here is he is the only way to God because he alone is the truth of God who possesses and provides the life of God. There is no other way. So if you haven't trusted in Jesus, you know, one of the common things I hear when, when I talk to people about anything spiritual who have not placed their trust in Jesus is this belief, this misconception that Jesus loves me, which is truth. And so if I just try hard enough, if I try to do enough good, if I try to raise my children by bringing them to church, if I do all the stuff that I'm supposed to do, Jesus loves me and I will go to heaven. I will get to share in that eternal glory. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Because if that's what you believe, then what you're saying is you're the way. That you're the one that has to do something. That if you do something good enough, because of Jesus' love, You get to go. You get to be with him. Jesus loves you, but if you don't trust in what he did, rather than what you're trying to do, if you don't trust in what he did on the cross, you will face the just wrath of God. And I'm not trying to scare you into anything. I'm not trying to motivate you so that you respond emotionally like Peter, like we saw Peter do. I'm not trying to do that, but I do want you to understand truth. Because any decision you would make would need to be based on that foundation. It would need to be based on the truth that Jesus loves you, but if you don't put your trust in him, if he went to the cross on your behalf, and that he rose from the dead, his work, 
then all this stuff we're talking about does not apply to you. Nothing else will accomplish that. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus tells Thomas that he is the way and then continues in expressing the fullness of his deity as we have seen him do over and over and over again. He says, if you had known me, in verse 7, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him because you know me and you have seen me. That wasn't enough for Philip. Philip needed some more evidence. It's so interesting, his response, because while he says, well, this wasn't enough for him, he actually says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Just show us the Father, and then that'll be enough. Philip, giving his own terms to Jesus, And Jesus responds, Philip, have I been with you this long? And still you don't believe that I am in the Father as the Father is in me, that we are one, that I am the Son of God, that I am the fullness of the glory of God that has come in the flesh. He rebukes him. But he rebukes him out of love. Philip, I want you to get this. I want you to see me. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. We're going to sing a song later. I was looking ahead. You know, uh, Phil and, and Hunter always, they, they do a really good job of spending time in the text and then selecting songs ahead of time. And we're going to sing a song. I saw, where, I saw where Phil was going with this, that Christ is enough. Christ is enough for us. And the reason Christ is enough for us is because he has shown the Father. If we have seen him and we have known Jesus Christ, we know the Father. Because they are one. Christians, I hope you feel good today. I want you to. This is a time for you to rest in the unfailing, perfect love of Jesus Christ. It is enduring through all things. It's comforting to know that Jesus loves us despite whatever we've done. And I'm also going to challenge you because when we go back to last week, I mean, remember, this whole thing is we're looking to the love of Jesus. We need to know more about how does Jesus love because what we saw last week is Jesus give the command, love one another as I have loved you. So how do we apply this type of love? How do we love one another like Christ loves? Well, his love endures. Despite 
what somebody does to Jesus. He loves them. And that's difficult. That's why I say this is a challenge. If we're going to continue to to grow and, and reflect the glory of Jesus Christ so that God would be made much of, when people do things that hurt us, how should we respond? We respond with the same type of love that we've been given. When we recognize that I have, I have committed an incredible offense to the Son of God, that I have rebelled against him, I have been disobedient, I am in there with Peter, I have denied him. And yet he loves me when someone sins against me, when they hurt me, I'm not going to deny the feelings. I'm going, I'm going to accept that as a reality. I'm not telling you to be numb and don't feel anything. But what I am saying is when that happens, you look to Jesus. And then you get to see, wow, I've done the same thing to you, Jesus. And yet you love me and you've pursued me. And so I'm going to do that. Jesus, I want others to see you. I want others to see your glory. And so I'm going to get past myself And I'm going to go love that person that hurt me. Because Jesus' love endures. It perseveres. And we have been given that love. And so we reflect that out. That's how we glorify him. When we put on display his attributes, his characteristics. I also hope you feel good because there's a future hope for you. And whatever it is you're going through, Jesus' love provides you with that future hope that he's gone to prepare a place for us. And one day we will all be together with other believers from across the globe and throughout all of history in our Father's house. And you can trust in this love because of who he is. He is the Son of God. He is in the Father and the Father is in him. He is the fullness of God. Come in the flesh. And any who's testing the waters of Christianity, I would just tell you the same thing Jesus said in verse 11. He says, believe in me. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is who he says he is, who expressed his love by dying on your behalf and rose to life so that he would conquer death for us, so that we might live with him forever, as foolish as that sounds. Trust in him for eternal life. Father, we come to you this morning so grateful for your perfect love as our Father. Father, on this day where we celebrate the gift of fatherhood, I pray that we would look to you as our perfect heavenly Father and that we would celebrate that as well. Father, we thank you for the fathers that you've placed in our lives who protect, who provide, 
whose shepherd Father, I also thank you that for those that don't have that type of father here on earth, that we have access to you, who is the perfect expression of fatherhood. For those of us in this room who are fathers, God, we just ask that you would continue to sanctify us, by the power of your spirit and in the knowledge of your word, sanctify us in truth because your word is truth. We pray for our fathers that they would continue to to be more and more like Jesus every day so that you would be made much of. This morning as we reflect on the text that we've studied, God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the perfect love that endures all things. Thank you for that future hope that we can believe in because your son said it. Father, any in this room who have not believed. I'm, I'm asking you, we are coming together to ask you to grant faith this morning, to, to be able to see the gospel and trust in it to be true. We look forward to the day where we will be called back, where our Savior, our King, would come back for us. Until that day, Father, I pray that that we would be found faithful as we strive to make much of you in our neighborhoods and to the nations by reflecting your son, Jesus. We need no other evidence this morning, Father. We place our trust in the authoritative word that you've provided for us. And we come together to say that Christ is enough for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.